Hi, welcome to Green Shoots by Pehle. I am Kinshuk and I have with me my partner in crime Atul. Through our podcast, we intend to demystify sustainability, evaluate it through multiple dimensions and take expert opinion on the challenges and dichotomy that the sector faces today. Personally, I am also looking to get answers to the questions about sustainability which are in my head and the questions which you guys might have. By you guys, I mean the listeners of this podcast might have regarding sustainability. May all your questions get answered today itself, Atul, so that we don't have to continue this podcast. For our first episode today, we will try to discuss some big issues which India and us Indians need to address regarding sustainability and issues that the startups in this field are facing. And to discuss this, we have co-founder of Atworks, founder of Seema and Climac, sustainability veteran Shravan Shankar with us today. His brainchild Seema helps sustainability startup find their feet and start running. Hi Shravan, thanks for being here. We are really excited that you're here. We have been in touch for the last few months and we always wanted to start the podcast with you. Thanks again for being on Green Shoots by Pehle. Thanks very much Kinshuk and Atul. Really enjoy the conversation we had and I'm very excited to be able to do this with you. Basically I've been working in the space of um, sustainable development since about 2009 working with corporates policy makers and various areas the whole goal that I've been trying to do is how do you increase adoption of sustainability solutions how do companies adopt it how do consumers adopt it how do policy makers enact things to make it effective my latest thing that I've been really focusing on a lot more now is really around newer age innovation and startups and how do you really not just develop and validate them but pick them up and grow towards actually getting adopted it's absolutely fascinating because there are so many facets of what does better adoption mean so shravan while we understand the word sustainability broadly how do you view sustainability in terms of what we can do what is your definition of sustainability that's a now that's actually an interesting question sustainability largely we know it is the three pillars that we have to look at of environment social and economic any initiative any action taken by anyone it doesn't really have to be the tag of a sustainability professional who's actually able to shift and make positive environmental action for me what's most important is that such actions have the capacity to scale they have the ability to grow they have the ability for an individual to do more or they have the ability for other people organizations to pick up that same idea and grow further you got to think of it as incremental improvement over time it's not a one size fits all or a quick fix solution in place but it's always good to look at that you're doing positive change continuously so that's how i tend to look at sustainability so incremental improvements are the key then right there are times that we can get a bit too sucked into thinking that the small changes is enough but there's a balancing act we have to play at one point we can't just say that oh it's just a small initiative but look at the bigger picture because you need small wins for people to basically improve and grow because th- there was a statistic which said that climate scientists are the most depressed scientists in the world because they really only have one metric <laughs> that temperature doesn't go up by more than 2 degrees that's a great way to put it shavan but at the same time we can't rest our laurels and say that i've stopped taking plastic straws i'm not doing that it's it's good but you can do more so i think the most important thing is to how do you get people who are doing a single action to start doing more i think that's like the key So the initiatives can be incremental but over time they have to occupy a larger canvas. 100%. Shravan in your line of work right you must be meeting a lot of startups many different points of views 
In fact, the idea of sustainability itself, uh, is it plastic, is it local sourcing, is it low emissions, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. In your opinion, what are the big problems that India has to solve for today? That is a fabulous question because the one thing we have to be aware of is that there is no zero impact solution. Like quite often you do a carbon footprint study of alternatives to packaging and certain types of packaging products. You'll see that the process, because a lot of them are agricultural based and the carbon footprints can tend to be higher than, you know, say, for example, some hard plastic which can re reuse and it becomes a very difficult problem then because you're like, am I fighting the plastic battle? Am I fighting the carbon impact battle? You're not going to get a clear answer for me because it's a very complex thing to deal with. We are dealing right now with plastics is a very key part of it because we are seeing that it has current direct impact just really detrimental for us. But then we know it has a carbon footprint issue. So then okay, what interventions can we do from a carbon footprint perspective? So is it more renewables? Is it more energy efficient uh, activities in place? And slowly, as you keep figuring out, you know, this whole systems view of things like one action, okay, this is the side effect, this is the side effect, this is the side effect, realize that, yes, you tend to have individuals who will be focusing on separate areas, but you'll also find these people are trying to find the bridge in between. Like, who's doing that bridge in between making alternatives of plastic, having a, a carbon footprint, because they have some technology which can be adopted. Brass tags, what India really needs to address, 100% everyone needs to be addressing climate change and Reducing carbon emissions, climate adaptation is very important, wherein how do your cities actually build better infrastructure for flooding? And obviously, waste is obviously a huge part of it, because the fact is, a lot of waste is created from the demand to continue generating products. And you then are faced with this thing that, okay, which is the thing that I want to address with? Do I want to control and work on demand generation? But then it has an impact here as well. So it becomes a very tricky thing, because ultimately... There is waste created right across the value chain. There is excess carbon impact created across the value chain. One of the things that we ultimately have to look at is, okay, what is driving demand? And for me, that's actually two things which I really look at. Uh, one is when you look at aspiration and what is the Indian person who wants to become aspirational want, a lot of it is driven by a very consumerist lifestyle. What can we do to really shift lifestyle? That's because everything is driven by demand fundamentally. Great point, Shravan. And this is something which I associate on a deeper level. Personally, my journey on the sustainability started with the whole disillusionment with the consumption-led lifestyle which we all lead. And closely related to this is a question of how at an individual level do we follow a sustainable lifestyle? Very simple brass tax is you're using lesser resources, you're creating lesser wastage of resources and you're able to do it across like as many spheres of your life as you're able to do. How you work, how you live, the place you live in, how you travel. A sustainable way is an aspirational way. When people say that climate change is the biggest thing that we have to address, you have to go back and see that why is this excess carbon emissions happening, excess GHG emissions happening, and it's driven by demand. So for me, biggest thing to address is this demand part. Another very key thing is this whole idea of inequality. And I don't think this gets enough uh, focus. If you look at a very common number, you'll see that the per capita GHG emissions in India is about 1.8 tons. It's like a third of the average global per capita emissions. And we run, we hide behind that number a lot because we take the excuse of saying that, oh, look at us, we are below the average emissions. But, you know, as a country, we're like about the third or fourth largest emitter. There is something we have to address, but we keep hiding behind this number. So when you look at inequality data, it's very unique. Study done, I think, last year, was they actually looked at different income groups and their uh, carbon emissions. So India's was, I think, around the average about 1.8 tons. 
So they went and measured what it was for the lowest part of the population. It was about around 1.0.5 to 1. This was below the average in place. So the next low income population was about 4.2, which is the global average we're looking at. And then there was another level at the middle, middle level income was about 9.2. And the highest level is something like about 40 tons of carbon emissions per year. That's the per capita footprint. And our global average is yeah. 4. That's, that's an amazing data point, Shavan, because, because that means that there can be unique solutions to each income segment. 100%. The problem is we are not talking about it as an inequality problem because we are hiding behind this average number in place. Uh, there's some fascinating data when you look at it from inequality because you're like, okay, now what are the interventions being done to target it at these separate, separate levels? Now, cumulatively you look at it, that highest level of the population which you see, they don't totally have a large number. But then everyone wants to shift towards that. How do you affect that? It's by basically saying, this is the sort of lifestyle they're leading. We shouldn't be having that lifestyle. How do you make a sustainable lifestyle more attractive? One big question that we had when we were conducting group discussion to understand sustainability was that, does it impact uh, growth? Will the GDP of the country get impacted if we start looking for sustainable solutions to solve our problems? Are we denying the basic rights of wealth creation for the marginalized people today to address the sustainability issue? We don't talk about sustainable lifestyle to lower income groups at all. Basic rights and basic access to rights is, is what we owe it to give to people who don't have. And that is stuff like your en energy access and a lot of things, which is basically the creature comforts we have today. So who are we to really deprive them of? It? Now, energy is always taken up as a reason, especially our adoption of coal is always taken up as a reason why this thing of, you know, supporting growth and energy to people who don't have it today, because Coal plants are already set up. And I remember having conversations at the policy level with the planning commission before it got shut down, that this was a huge argument point which was in place saying that um, the reason we still need to look at coal is because today that's what's more affordable for us to actually set up all these plants. There's a very simple argument against that today wherein renewables are as cheap as coal plants. So we are coming to this point wherein some solutions are these sustainable solutions. Renewables is getting there. I think one kind of important thing to be aware of is that just like, everything is a lot of this is about balance it's like near-term balance and long-term growth the problem with if you build capacity which only addresses the near term you're kind of also eating into capacity of the medium term and i'm speaking for example very clearly towards coal plants here you know that you know greater adoption of solar is going to create get larger economies of scale and so on and so forth you have this ability that you can start prioritizing a very concerted approach towards sustainable solutions in place. Unfortunately, a lot of these things does require around policy. It's not always the market that's really going to be able to drive and influence these solutions in place. But I think this argument which comes up often, and I've heard it a lot of times in like over my period of my work, that the reason we need to do the status quo is because today we need to give rights to people. Sustainability solutions are too hard, they're too expensive, and they're not affordable, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is in place. There are ways to work around this. I mean, subsidies are not exactly what everyone likes because it creates a dependency, but there are things that can be done to really make things supportive for adoption and then growth. The whole key is that can you build a mass scale of a sustainable solution wherein it becomes competitive with an available solution in place. That's what we have to look at. So what you're saying is we don't have to stifle growth, but we should start moving towards sustainable solutions at least in the cases where a proven model exists. Otherwise, we will be stuck at the status quo. 
I think another very key thing to look at is also the products which make the higher end of the population sustainable are very different from what's going to be make the lower end of the population sustainable. We're not homogenous enough and inequality is very extensive. It's an interesting conversation point when, you know, a zero waste store comes up. You go to the prices, an organic store and all these things comes up. The prices are like 10 to 20% more expensive than most places. But imagine if there was enough people who could afford that started adopting that. What's going to happen? More of the supply chain is going to be built up to actually cater to these things. What that's going to do is basically it's going to basically reduce costs for what is a sustainable product across the board. And it's a long drawn process. The last few minutes have been really enriching, Shravan. Uh, in particular, your point about inequality and how it impacts the problem and the solution. It, it, just, it just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> One last point I want to make here is very important about the nature of a sustainable sustainability solution. A sustainability solution today is always an alternative to something which is already in the market, already being used, which is not sustainable. You take your electric vehicles, it's petrol and diesel vehicles. So when you're selling a sustainable product, you first have to come overcome the inertia of a person saying that I already have something which does this. So how do I replace that cost of me having to basically remove that plus also being able to, you know, pay for something which is more sustainable. So I have to look at two things in place. And are there examples of anyone trying to break this cycle? Either, I know it was doing this, like they were asking people to trade in their petrol uh, scooters and they'll say, well, you, you get an electric scooter. So this is a way that companies are trying to say that, look, I need to start building out adoption in place because the other option people will be that let, let that equipment break and then afterwards, let me just take it up. And that is not going to work necessarily because you're going to wait for people to, you know, uh, wait for things to break. A manufacturer is going to be just sitting on inventory, which is not going to go anywhere. So this inertia for change is one of the biggest problems that I'm seeing. Absolutely. Yeah, and that first hump is what you almost don't get in any other form of industry because you are saying that you're targeting an alternative which is already there in the market and there's a cost conversion and there's a cost for adoption. How do you fit that cost in place? So, Shravan, this brings us to uh, probably the biggest pillar in the sustainability, at least in my head, uh, the government. Uh, what, do you, what role do you think the government should play in the whole sustainability mission? My personal view is that government should just look at creating an environment, enabling environment. It should just incentivize people to come up, set up stock, and then just say, you know, we're giving you this platform for you to basically deploy and work on. The government's role should not be in actively trying to sell a solution. There's the, one of the biggest things which has come up recently is this whole single-use plastic ban. It's an interesting step because you're basically putting this barrier to say that this is what I could de I deem this a polluting device. I'm going to remove it out of the market. Now, you want that gap to be filled by something which is an alternative which is in place. But you also have to have policy which supports that alternatives to come in place. Now, a lot of plastic, for example, plastic packaging alternatives are done by newer age companies. Now, then it becomes a question of, okay, how, do you, how are you supporting new age startups? Uh, becomes a case that, you know, a lot of our startup policy is very geared towards uh, software and tech-related solutions. They're not really geared towards hardware and product-focused solutions in place. So, for just tackling this one thing about plastics, you first have one policy which has to say that, okay, how are you going to support an alternative to come into place? It's not just about giving money. That's the main thing. I think it's more about allowing, making it easier for people to basically set up, try, uh, fail fast, fail succeed, and then build out further. And then, you know, just giving them more capability to actually get a solution to market and get it to a better adoption. Coming specifically to what you do, Shravan, what are the big problems that you're trying to solve? 
and it, it goes back to this a couple of things I've been speaking about, which is really about adoption of uh, new solutions, what I really want to focus on. And I've been working with large companies, working with government, and absolutely interesting work. And also, I still do feel that there was some positive impact being made, but there's always this nagging question that are effective solutions actually being brought in and deployed and kept in place? If you looked at the nature of sustainability solutions around 2012, 2013, a lot of them were basically productivity and efficiency-based solutions. You're not really looking at, can this product be viewed differently? Can it be viewed in a way that the end of life doesn't have as much impact? It's mainly that I'm going to make this product with like 50% less water, 20% less energy, which is nice, but then that's the incremental growth, which is not really going to create anything further. So around 2014 is when I got interested about what startups are doing. And then I realized that, okay, hey, I needed to understand what it was to be an entrepreneur because I'd, it's not very nice for me to go and lecture people to say that, oh, you should do this without really knowing what it takes to actually build out. We ended up setting up some, which is a basically an entrepreneur support platform, which is, again, trying to figure out how do you support entrepreneurs to grow and scale and everything. Very focused on the tech and SaaS space. It was really around 2016 where, you know, with some good understanding of what was happening there already, I wanted to see how it worked in the sustainability lens. This area, which I've been telling you about, it's, you know, hardware-based, it's even initial market adoption is a nightmare. Support systems are very ineffective. Financing is very sparse. There's like what we call this missing middle. There's money rarely at the initial stage with, you know, you know, grants and challenges, which is like five to seven lakhs. And then there's a huge gap until it's about maybe seven million, if you can raise a seven million dollar round. Who's going to fund that middle part in place? It's a huge problem. One of the biggest things which we, uh, I, I then learned was who exactly is trying to do what in the space? What, what are we, who are, people trying to support other ventures to be built out. And I realized that one of the main things that people are missing out a lot, and there are good programs in place trying to support them, but they're very looking at the early stage of trying to say that, can we validate a solution? Can we do a technology validation of it? Like, can we do, show that, you know, if this is an engine which is going to reduce, uh, you know, efficiency in trucks by, improve efficiency by 30%, I can validate that. But then there's a huge gap wherein you have this innovator who's, Validated a good solution and they have no clue on how to actually get to market. Well, I spent a lot of time on this. I'm just, I've either spoken to maybe about more than 100, 200 startups from the sustainability space in the last four, three, four years. One of the biggest things you come across is that a lot of these startup innovators are amazing people. They understand how a problem works, how to address it. They're very proficient from a technology and product standpoint, but they struggle very often when it comes to trying to sell a product. They don't understand enough about who do I sell to in a in an industry? How do I actually create adoption in place? And the, on top of that, you have all these barriers of the inertia for shifting and all that stuff in place. So a long-winded answer to what you asked for, but with a bit of background context, it's really, there are a lot of interesting solutions out there. How do we get them to market better? And in that, I'm literally looking at two areas to look at. How do you actually get companies or largely customers on board? Because I think right now, we have more have a greater focus on B2B rather than B2C, because it's a lot more, I would say, an easy hanging fruit target. If you have a B2B solution, how can we create a, this kind of like an expectation platform that in, you have a company which is vested enough to support a potential solution to scale, to try a few times, to figure out a way to grow and scale, to come to a level where these guys are ready to adopt them from a very commercial standpoint. So it may sound simple because you're just telling a company, come on board, be supportive of trying to work with a startup, but there is a lot in expectation management in between. The company doesn't know how to take a bet on whether the start was, is the correct one to work with. Near-term demands are more important so that they can't devote resources to this in an effective way. So there's a lot of expectation mismanagement in place. And we realize that's an area for us to target. 
Wow, Shravan, that sounds like some really interesting work. Do you have some hot project you're currently working on? So we've been piloting this out with Impresario Restaurants, uh, the amazing social restaurants that they do. We couldn't have asked for a better partner to work with. So the basic thing we're doing is this platform called SEMA, which is the Circular Impact Market Accelerator. We started from a basic conversation. They launched a restaurant in Chennai. I got invited. I ended up talking to the CEO. And we just had a really nice conversation. And he's like, okay, how do I make my organization more sustainable, my restaurant more sustainable? And we came to this idea that, okay, can we look at, for example, plastics as a focus area? And the thing we went to Impresario is we're going to understand what are all where plastics utilize across your entire organization, their entire life cycle, the entire workflow of how it's going to work. And we're going to try and find alternatives which are able to plug into that system. Um, we first didn't put any barriers on the age of what a startup should be, but it ended up being like 60% of solutions we ended up shortlisting to actually get implemented were less than three years old, which tells you a lot about the nascent of the problem. And a lot of these guys had been able to do small orders here and there. Impresario would have been the largest customer for them. Impresario would have also been that sort of customer that would have really opened up a gateway towards further markets. And and are there any selection criteria to select such a partner? The way we design this program is pretty strategic. So we don't, for example, look at any random company to come on board. We're very key to get an, what we call an anchor company because it goes back to this thing about an aspirational lifestyle, but let's look at it from the lens of a business. Now, I want to create a lapsational approach of what a sustainable business is for a company. So I want a company which has large, a sizable presence in place to really influence others to say that, you know, if this big guy can do it, anyone else can basically do it. So we went to them and we said that, okay, we're going to basically identify areas of interventions. We're going to find solutions in place. And most importantly, we're going to be this expectation layer so that we know how to actually support you, give the hands-on support to both you and to the startups so that over a period of time that we, if we reach certain key metrics in place, you will take them on for long-term engagement. And that part is very key. It's easy to do pilots because pilots are not are cost-effective and they're affordable. But what we managed to do with Impresario, and I, I give most credit to Impresario for this, they were willing to say that if they meet these metrics which are in place, we will adopt these as long-term solutions. Now, at that point, you've done market validation for a very key market customer. And for an for that company to basically next take up and go and say that, you know, I want to work with the next company in place, it's dead simple, it's very easy. This is like one aspect of what we're trying to do. And then another thing which really came about is the idea of financing and the sort of funding in place. So it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but it's the nature of the beast is just like that. The missing middle concept that you spoke about, Shavan, was very insightful. You also talked about how you are helping companies get financing. Uh, is it to solve the missing middle or there is more to the whole puzzle? A lot of the financing and funding conversation which you see is again influenced a lot by tech and software. People think, okay, I have to raise from an angel fund, I have to raise from these folks and everything. There's a very fundamental difference between the two. The expenses in software tech is really people and maybe a laptop and cloud cost, largely. And maybe marketing cost, whatever you call it. The costs which you have for a software hardware product are significantly more. So you can't do an apples to apple comparison. And what we started seeing was a lot of people who definitely had come into the space from a tech side wanted to get into supporting sustainability solutions, which is absolutely amazing. But there's also a need to ensure that your expectations are different from what you expect, what you expect in sustainability. One of the main things in sustainable solutions is that the nature of products being very hardware based and very often it's like, you know, you book an order, you have to supply a demand for an order. A lot of it is like you need tailored capital for a very specific type. It's 
stuff like invoice discounting, working capital loans, you know, things that are not really rocket science. But when you look at it with a sustainability lens, it's thought of as you don't have many options in place. And it's very complex to actually fit a solution which comes into the picture. So today, uh, the other thing which we're really looking at a lot is that how do we make financing more tailored and appropriate? Largely, these are the sort of big things we're looking at. And we're looking at ways to even club them together, wherein if we're able to create market adoption opportunities, we can support organizations with financing so that their scale is greater and can be built out further. And that way, target both things together. And, and I think one key point is that it's very hard to just say that, you know, I'm going to focus on one thing because you're going to figure out there's this other part of the system missing and that's the critical piece also. So you need to go a bit holistic. That's, that's a bit of a nutshell of what we're doing now. Going back to the anchor partner conversation, the question which uh, as a business guy is more pertinent to me is, won't the profitability of Impressario Group be impacted by the changes? Yeah, no, that's a fair point. But um, that's also part of the nature of how we're trying to set it up as well. Like we're trying to identify what's, because we have the ability for doing a long-term engagement. It's pretty interesting that we'll be able to find a situation that works collectively both for you know, both the customer and also uh, the supplier, the vendor organization. That's kind of important because it's an apples to orange thing. If I'm able to provide greater volumes, I'm able to provide, you know, build out my supply chain better, I'm able to do large economies of scale better. Over the mid to long term, I'm able to get my costs reduced in place. So I think that's the interesting thing about working A with an anchor company and also on long term engagement. It gives you a lot more play to figure out, okay, the word win-win argument, uh, you know, situation is a bit abused, but that's what we're trying to do here. And we have the flexibility to do that. It's it's definitely something which we have to see and figure out in place because we've come across solutions which are, in a sense, I would say they're almost at par with what you may get as an alternative. But in other situations, yeah, they're about maybe one of 1.5x or so in, more. But then it becomes a case that, okay, how do you actually figure this out in place? Now, the reason also we took plastics as a very key part is you got legislation coming on the back. Sooner or later, companies are going to have to shift. Now, it's a question of who's going to take that bandwagon first and decide to say that I'm going to set up initially and then grow. If you look at another area, for example, we did not have as much legislation push in place, then yeah, it's it's going to be a lot more harder to do. It's a pretty interesting conversation that you have to figure out because, because again, it can't be seen in isolation. Ultimately, increase in price is going to have an increase in adoption of who's going to come and buy. That's going to have an increase of your impact, increase, uh, and then it's going to, that's also going to influence your supply so it's a very confusing game but we got it comes about finding some equilibrium across the board that concludes the first part of our conversation with shravan shravan thanks so much we learned today about the problems that india needs to prioritize and solve how sustainability and growth can go hand in hand and aspects which are unique to the sector product substitution versus a new product the missing middle in financing and the unique financing requirements that startups in this sector have we also learned about what sima is doing to solve these problems for the sustainability startups no thanks thanks for giving the chance i mean it's really really nice to have a conversation i really enjoyed it so thanks a lot yeah and now a message for our listeners thank you so much for subscribing to this podcast you can reach us at hello.greenshoots@gmail.com if you want to follow shravan he's available on linkedin as shravan shankar he also writes extensively on substack you can follow his articles on the big green picture and the climate finance initiative we will continue our conversation with shravan 
in the next episode it will be another extremely engaging session thank you